1: If anybody is thinking about approaching me and ever want to catch me on the streets, you know, I I really tell you all take great proportion because my battle rap brain is still definitely good. So a play of words. So let's take the alphabets. A, I know B's and C's fellas. R.I.P. the Tookie. He got in by the Terminator. That's the ex-governor of California, Schwarzenegger. He could get. These nuts for executing crip leaders. Now, you on E or out your F in mind? G, it ain't hard to see. It's all a conspiracy. They caught my cousin in the H. Hit him with a Rico A. Eh? He hit the freeway like freeway. Translation, just another pawn for the CIA. Because where I'm from, you either dunking like Dr. J or get caught up in the drama with a K. And get slayed. My L Chapo boys, they will bring the drama to him. Now, what that means, they'll carve him in him. And oh, mama screaming, not my boy. His mom deep, but he ain't Pete. The have it cost them the no more. Now wait for my cue before you leave the booth, or you are gonna see this S on your T make you woozy woo from all that blue. Now y'all ain't catch that. I told Superman before he take flight. Wait for my cue because his weakness is Crips tonight. And you know all that blue is Crips tonight. And y'all wondering why Clef is bouncing like a zombie that's tails of the Crips tonight. Now, I'm at the W. They setting up my suite. You working on punchlines, making it hard for me to compete. I ran for president. They considered my setups a threat. That's why they was dying for me to do a speech in Harlem so they could set me up like, Malcolm X, the trooper stopped me. I say, don't ask why in the stash box I keep a glock. You motherfuckers is killing niggas, so I keep an axe like ZZ Tops. Why <laughs>
0: <God. laughs> Wyclef Jean is a genius, a producer, a rapper. He's been a friend of mine for years. Oh, this is a good conversation. It's the man, the myth, the legend, the hip-hop legend, Wyclef Jean on Tour A show. What do you love about uh music and making it? I I think you know um
1: I'm I'm having like conversations because you know I look up to like people like Quincy Jones, Jan Zimmer, Gershwin, right? So these are a few names. Anyone who's listening, like, remember the three names I told y'all because it's so important. The reason why it's important is because I got into music because I wanted to be a composer. And I think that this is the part that people don't get, right? Um, because um, as someone who grows up, you know, in the hood, in the projects, right? When you're coming up inside of our culture, what they automatically tell you is like, yo, you know, if you, if you, you want to be popping, you got to be on the radio, like, Funkmaster Master has got to be playing you. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, you got to be on the billboards. Like, then you pop and you become a super big superstar. But what they don't tell the community, there's a whole other side to it, which is actually more important than that. And the idea of like, yo, if you become a composer, you actually can create the stars. And once you create the stars, you literally... It will never not have a job, you know. If you actually could create someone, so I always say, I got in the game because of it. Was like I, I'd be like, "Yo, who's doing Superman? Like, what's this music sounding like?" You know, like I love Mike, I love MJ. Damn, but what's this music in the background? You know, I remember first time I heard Summertime, and I, I that happened to me. Coming from Haiti at 10 years old, right? And I got to Brooklyn, Marlboro Projects in Coney Island um, at 10. And I'll never forget, um, I couldn't speak English. And I used, you know, I got, one of my cousins, like, you know, we got, stories in Brooklyn is crazy. Cause you know, cousins get stabbed, I got stabbed fighting. You know, you young, it's like literally you're a young immigrant, you know what I'm saying? And you know, zoned up at a very young age. And you're trying to find your way. And and I don't think people understand that. So when we say the idea of like music helped us find our way, that means that it helped me from not getting deported. It helped me from not throwing on a mask and coming for you. You know, it helped me from not sitting in a jail cell with a lot of my cousins that are doing double life. So um, I saw two guys one day, you know, like, going at each other. And there was there yo dudes was like, yo, your mama, F your mama, I screwed your mama. Other dude like, yeah, well, I screwed. You know, and I said, and I told my man, I said, yo, they going at each other hard, but why are they not fighting? I'm confused. And my man said, yo, this is called battle rap. And I said, what that mean? He said, they are fighting. But he said, you know how we be break dancing, and then another crew come from another block, they doing the same thing, but they doing it with words. So I was like, yo, I'm going to be the best battle rapper in the world. Because in my brain, I was like, yo, if I become a great battle rapper, I could avoid having a slap box, you know, like, you know, trying to protect yourself. And you're the oldest, you dig? Like, so if you go for anyone in my family, I'm the oldest, right? So you know how I go, right? I'm going to go get my big brother. You show up, like, you weigh like a buck 20. You got to be ready to go. So... Um, a high school teacher saw me playing piano on there, right? And I was, like, on the piano. And I, I was like, you can see the piano behind me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, like, on piano, and I'm like... Right? And I'm playing these chords. And she goes, where did you learn that? And I got all my bubble goose, scullied up. And I'm like, <clears throat> you know, I play in my dad's church. Like, I just, I could hear the music. And I just play it. She's like, but who taught you that? And I said, nobody taught me that. And she was like, close your eyes. And I closed my eyes and she was like, what do you see? And keep in mind, I've never studied music theory at 15 years old yet. I don't even know what that is. So I told her in my left, I told her like, okay, my left hand, I could see like one five. And in my right hand, I could see like one, three, five. And she was like, tomorrow. You start in jazz and classical music. I was like, "No, thank you. I'm going to be a battle rapper." <laughs> and she was like, "No." So she strung me up, and so the minute she put me like in that in that music class, and this is like in the hood, right? It literally, I was like, then the epiphany hit me, and I was like, "Yo, I'm going to be a badass composer." You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: So. Take, I want to go through the pieces of being a great music creator. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me the philosophy, because you're a great lyric writer. Tell me the philosophy behind uh, writing lyrics. So
1: anyone who writes lyrics are inspired, right? And usually, like when you listen to an album like Nas Illmatic, like, One of my favorite albums. And you see, like, line for line, like he's painting the picture. And then, if you pay close attention, he starts to decode where he gets all this information from. And then you start to notice the books that he read. And you start to notice the OGs that were on the block that'd be like, yo, man, Sun Tzu, the art of war. You you go, what's that? You got to read that book. So, I think. Um, the, the, the idea of words are inspired by conversations, they're inspired by culture, they fueled by culture, and they're inspired by living inside of other people. And what that means is, you, as the author, at times, it could be your story, but then... You have this thing where you can channel what someone else is saying, so it's almost like so. So, as as young little Haitians, they got a crazy culture that says, you know, don't be, don't sit under the mouth of old people when they speak it. You know, like mind your place, like you're not supposed to be within this conversation. But I was always that kid that would be always listening to these different stories, and then even though that would not be my story, I would go into the imagination of how that person felt. And I'd be like, what if I could tell his story? So I think these are like the combinations. I say you have to be able to be within a space of chameleon, right? So whether we talk about great directors, whether we talk about great authors or great rappers or great singers, you know, they're like chameleons within spaces of writing. They could go in and out of different stories, not just their own.
0: I mean part of what you do what songwriters do is compressing the information right cuz I have to be as a as a writer the kind of writer I am I have to be expansive and explain the idea in a big way with lots of id lots of words but you have to be able to be super economical and tell a story with a couple of words convey a feeling with a couple of words like how do you how do you just like you know, compress the thoughts and the stories and the emotions down to like, you know, my love is your love. Ah, I understand what he's saying, you know, like, just like.
1: Okay. So the best way I can explain it to you, and I'm going to explain it to you in probably a couple of words, and it's all going to make sense to be or not to be Shakespeare. So I don't think like, there's no difference with us in Shakespeare. At the end of the day, Shakespeare was a great writer and, you know, you have to be able to go, Jesus wept. And that's the message. So what happens is um, some people call it wordsmith, right? Um, There is a part of it, which is a gift, right? Because, um, and the gift comes from playing with words at a very young age. So um, being that English was not my first language. Creole, French, then English. So I attack the English uh, literature similar to the way like a Biggie Smalls or a Tupac, right? And what that means is, so Biggie's mom is Jamaican. So literally, if you pay attention to some of his phonetics, you'd be like, hold up. Like, he's speaking a Queen's English. Like, you know, at times, um, Slick Rick also. Like, you'd be like, hold up. The, The level, you know, and then Tupac, another great intellect would literally take the words and flip them in a Shakespearean form and, and and spit it back out. So I think that's also um, uh, just literally, with, when somebody's like playing ball, you know, they on the block trapping, you like trying to figure out how many double entendres you could come up with, triple etandras, how many one word can mean five things, you know what I'm saying? It just becomes like a, It goes from, like, a hobby to, like, oh, shit, like, I could actually do this. You know what I mean?
0: Is there, okay, And I mean, like, choruses are super special. Obviously, that's the heart of the song, right? Like, So how do you get a great chorus?
1: Well, the chorus for me comes from being, I always say that I'm cheating because I'm from the church. And not only I'm from the church, me and my brothers and my sisters was the band in the church. And every Sunday I got to make up a song. So the chorus, we call it the soul. If uh, today they call it the top line and it's all about the top line. OK, so. The key to the top line is. You got to think like when you're going into the top line, you sing it. And the key is, can you make someone that's not a singer think that they can sing? Right. That's when you know you got a great top line. Right. the the chorus that the world sings to, none of them can really sing. But man, when they sing in that chorus, can they sing? So usually for me, it's like, okay, you know, is this a top line that is shower microphone worthy? You know, and, and I'm so serious with you. A lot of people have different ways that they write. I have like a shower in the house and it's, it's you know, like you have... a. It's so funny, right? So I probably have like 10 bathrooms in my house, right? I use one little tiny ass shower, bro. Like, you know, it's that same little tiny shower with the wood, right? And the water comes down. and, And there's a little sun that beams because like, I'd be like, I wrote so many tunes in there and it's like, I, there's one of like, I guess, like Wyclef, i like, music theories, like, yo, you know, is it shower <laughs> bound worthy? Is the hook shower bound? Because if it's worthy, a lot of us sing in the shower. It's going to work.
0: Yeah. Hell yeah. I think for one thing that I see that some people do and a lot of people don't do is to start the song with the chorus. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times you, build up to the chorus and then hit you. But like some people, not that many, but some people start the song with the chorus. Is that a thought about how to approach it, how to get you to really be hooked into the song faster?
1: Um, Well, it depends who you're writing for, right? So um, to your point, you made, uh, the best way I could always explain is just to, some. so, okay, we'll take a song the song you were singing, Whitney Houston, My Love's Your Love, right? So let me see. You can see the piano? Yeah, yeah. I gave you like the, I made sure I went to the piano room for you because I know you, you're like a music college.
0: So talk about it. So we live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door. Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick,
1: Whitney Houston, right? So you uh, so you say, My love is your love and your love is my love. you will take an eternity to make and the mom is not good for us right? So you're like, Man, this hook is really powerful. But the actual hook to the song that I felt would grab people was not even that. Like okay. it was the part when I went like Angel, it's all right. Angel, it's all right. So, to, to each writer his own.
0: So, Whitney said- is that right. a hook? Is that you call that? Is that a hook in your yeah, mind? Yeah, well,
1: yeah. To me, that's a pre-hook. So sometimes the pre-hook is supposed to bait you into want you to get into the hook. And sometimes if the pre-hook for me usually comes before the main hook. Um, you'll always hear, like in my music, like you you find a pattern. There's always like the pre-hook, and then the hook comes in. Because somehow, um, the pre-hook for me is what I call a call and response. So in the church, we call that a call and response. It's like you know, can I get an amen? Amen. Can I get an amen, amen? Amen. Okay, now let's sing. You know what I mean? Um, to some, um, they they like spend days just trying to. I have like friends of mine. Um, So like when me and Avicii was working together, um, and we was writing uh, the anthem for the World Cup that was in Brazil, which we ended up writing. And, um, right, so it's like you're approaching a song with a billion people viewing it. So it's like, right, so the, and it's a football field, like a football field in every part of the world. So you go, And then you already know how the football chants are and how big they are. So automatically, once again, like something like that, we literally spent like five or six days. Like, what's the hook? Like, we can't even start a verse or a pre because this is stadium like football music. So the writer has to be able to adjust. To the composition of who he or she is writing the song for. This is a very crucial part to the music theory.
0: Talk to me about writing melodies.
1: Uh, Melodies are important. And usually I would say, like when I listen to like John Legend, for example, and it's like, at times I hear Donny Hathaway, right? Like at times that like you can hear he does something new, man. And you can listen to early Ray Charles before Ahmed said to find your voice, you know what I'm saying? And you'll hear like different soul singers. And I think melodies come from times of growing up and listening to so much different music, right? So. At the end of the day, you, every singer that you hear, you have a comparison for them. I don't care who it is. Like, every individual has a comparison. Like, some people hit Lauryn Hill, and they'd be like, damn, this is like some Nina Simone vibes, but different. Yeah. You know, like, this is, they hear Cleft, they go, yo, this is like some Bob Marley vibe, but different. So, where, what is it, right? You could hear Hendrix, and you'd be like, yo, this was so-and-so. Um, melodies come from just years of listening to so much music that you love, and there's always something that says there's nothing new under the sun, right? Um, right. The great, the greatest art is to look at the art and to be able to create from that art. Then you have Basquiat, right? So at the end of the day. Um, Being that great songwriters will always tell you like, man, I grew up listening to so-and-so. I grew up listening to so-and-so. So So then when you really, if you was to start to break down their style and their melodies, um, you would definitely come across a lot of what they listened to in the past. And I think a great example of that is the score by the Fujis. Like you hear a lot of these melodies coming in and out. Because keep in mind, when we were coming out, we were rhyming and singing. So what all of the kids are doing today, that's what we was doing in the 90s. And, you know, in a time when everyone's like, yo, you got to keep it real, you know, like, yo, the lyrics got to be. And you, you, so you have two parts of it. You have the, the monotone style of rhyming where it's basically like you're talking poetry, right? And then you had the melodies. So all of these groups that were coming with melodies, you can always identify it with something that came before us you
0: know influencer it's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days there is a woman who went the distance who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life her name elizabeth taylor i'm katie perry this is the story of the original influencer this is elizabeth the first Elizabeth, the first, the podcast, wherever you listen. Okay. You're a a great rapper. Talk about what it is to be a great rapper. Like how do you get on the mic and like really make us feel it?
1: Well, I think there's two parts to rhyming, and I want to be clear with, with people. So they was, Trying to get the Fuji's one time on Stretch and Barbido show, right?
0: <laughs> and, and early, do you mean like like early Stretch and Barbido? Yeah, because you
1: know, they're trying to get you on that show because if you can get on that show, you're going to get a college bus at the time, right? So, you know, the reps are working. And I even saw something with Stretch and Barbido, and it was like, oh, in the beginning, they didn't know. They was like, eh, we don't know. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know, like, Fuji, what are they talking about, right? What was interesting about that was with rhyming, it was a little tricky, right? Because the reason why it was tricky was as a composer, I knew that rhyming was an element that I had to incorporate. But when people hear the score, they go, yo, Clef is rhyming. They hear a the carnival, they like, Clef is rhyming. They hear me on Big Pun, they go, yo, I didn't know he could spit like that. Did cannabis write his verse, right? Not knowing, like, that was part of my hobby, right? So I think that with Stretch and Barbito, not until we got on the show, did they really knew that we could really spit? Because at the end of the day, it was sort of like, what we were saying was not on wax yet, if that made sense. So it was like, we still had a street element of trying to figure out what it was and couldn't put it to wax. So I think that what makes a great rapper is growth. And every year they keep getting better with their rob. So for example, So if you like your clef is 50, what does clef bar sound like 50, right? So here we go. You ready? I'll just break the alphabet down for you, right? So now think about when I was 20 and now I'm 50. So it could either go two ways, right? I could either start like on and on and on. You're like, man, I love clef, but you're going to have to get, right? So what keeps me consistent and sharp, right? It's because the culture that I'm from, the love first came from battle rap, right? So if anybody's thinking about approaching me and ever want to catch me on the streets, you know, I I really tell y'all take great precaution because my battle rap brain is still definitely there. So a play of words. So let's take the alphabets. Ready? A, I know... B's and C's, fellas, RIP the tookie. He got took by the Terminator. That's the ex-governor of California, Schwarzenegger. He could get D's nuts for executing crip leaders. Now you on E or out your F in mind, G, it ain't hard to see. It's all a conspiracy. They caught my cousin in the H. Hit him with a Rico. A he hit the freeway. Like freeway translation, just another porn for the CIA. Because where I'm from, you either dunking like Dr. J or get caught up in the drama with a K and get slayed. My L Chapo boys, they will bring the drama to him. Now, what that means, they'll carve for him in him. And oh, mama screaming, <laughs> not my boy, his mom deep, but he ain't Pete. The it cost them the no morgue. Now, wait for my cute Before you leave the booth, or you are gonna see this S on your T, make you woozy woo from All That Blue. Now, y'all ain't catch that. I told Superman before he take flight, wait for my cue, because his weakness is Crips tonight. And you know All That Blue is Crips tonight, and y'all wondering why Clef is bouncing like a zombie that's tails of the Crips tonight. Now, I'm at the W. They setting up my suite. You working on punchlines, making it hard for me to compete. I ran for president. They considered my setups a threat. That's why they was dying for me to do a speech in Harlem so they could set me up like Malcolm X. The trooper stopped me. I say, don't ask why in the stash box I keep a glock. You motherfuckers is killing niggas, so I keep an axe like ZZ tops
0: you know man. you know wow we
1: can't make that up it's just what we are you know
0: what wow what I'm saying? wow yeah. wait i wanted to that was amazing i want to talk about a couple more pieces of the game in general but i want your i want your analysis on you keep talking about the score obviously one of the biggest albums, one of the best albums of its time. It was your second album. Blooded on Reality came out and did very little noise. Yeah. The score came out and was gigantic. Same threesome, right? What was the difference between why one album went eh and the other album exploded like a nuclear bomb, changed music, changed your life, changed you know, Lauren and Praz's life, changed so much?
1: So on Blunt and on Reality, I was the kid in the class and there was the professor, it wasn't me. The professors were, the Fujis, was signed to La jam, cool in again. And that was the production company. So the entire production was being done by the production team. The, the direction of how to go was being done by the production team. You're a bunch of kids, you in the hood, you want to get on. So <clears throat> you have ideas, but you're very careful on when to speak because there's cool in the gang It's jungle boogie. They wrote fresh, celebrate. <laughs> everybody that's for it. people turning up, celebrate. So you're so now I'm the little professor. I'm I'm the little student in the class. It's math. So I understand the pre-calc and where it's going. So when we left um, house of music in the big studio where they was recording us, and then now I would go back to my hood. So I go back to East Orange. So in East Orange, I had a little studio called the of Basement. So in the basement, the way that I was making money, Jerry, we always making money. Like I had Lawrence singing hooks for like like some of my friends, and a lot of them was like drug dealers, but they would pay money to sing a hook. So if Lauren's listening, she sung a hook called the twilight zone, like L would be singing crazy hooks. Like we in the hood and the, these hood dudes loved her. Like when, when, you know, you do a track and you put L on the hook, it's going to be crazy. So the beats that I was doing in the hood, um, I felt was more like Ron G and that kind of stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like diamond D vibes, you know, premier, like I was listening to stuff. Um, like that, then I fell in love with like uh, Enya, like in Europe. So I was like, like ASAP, you know, like ASAP Rocky. The way like you know he used to just was listening to different stuff at a young age. Just this is just how I was. So then when we go back to the house of music, I keep my mouth shut. You feel me? And then we have to do that. So after the first album came out, and then it it it, it tankered the way it did, um, the audience that if you've been to a Fuji show, you already know. What, what the reviews kept saying was like, the album don't match their shows. Like, there's something that's wrong. Like, they live, they bars are sounding crazy. They playing guitars. They killing it with the band. But this, why did that not register in the first record? Like, something is missing. You know what I mean? So, um, they got us with a producer named Salam Remy. And so you gotta keep in mind, so at the time, think of like Barry Gordy. Like it's almost like Barry Gordy's looking for a hit for the temptations, right? He already know the temptations is the temptations, he believe in them, but he's like, if I could just get one record to make people pay attention to them, they're out of here. So this is sort of like what Sony was looking for. Salam Remy brought us in and I went to see Salam first. So if you, you talk to me, I always tell you like Clef came and me and him, cause I had the conversation Oracle to Oracle. I felt like Salam was like me, like he was young and we can have conversations. I didn't feel like I can have those conversations with an older, in, cause I'd be intimidated to have these kind of conversations with, you know, these heavy gurus that has, change the face of music forever. <clears throat> so <clears throat> Salaam was like, all right, bring the group, Lauren and Prize, and we gonna, we gonna do, we gonna do some stuff. So I was really excited. I felt like Salam understood what we were saying because you know he had hot stepper. He had the different kind of records. Like for us, we was like, the way that the older crowd looked at Cool and the gang, that's how we looked at Salam. It's like, yo, this dude is just, you know, he's on the pulse of what was going on. So i never forget. I actually was in the studio with him three months ago and he sent me, he played a freestyle, the first freestyle that we did. Because we all went and freestyle. He, I think I freestyle like 15 minutes on the Nappy Heads beat. And he has all of these dots, these original just... Young Fuji's just going, man. <laughs> and so, <laughs> Salam, threw on the nappy beat. he said, all right, who's going to go first? Because he understood, like, this number, a cypher, like, whoever goes in there, they're going to do like Red Man. They're going to do their thing. I'm already an Oracle. I know what I'm going to hear, and I'm going to know how to cut it. So, I would say, like, seven minutes in, then I'm like, yo, and I'm, I'm going, and I'm like, I'm like, Achiba, Achiba, y'all. Well, I'm a Libra, y'all. That came in seven minutes in. Then I'm like, yo, Mona Lisa, can I get a date on Friday? And if you're busy, I want a market inside day. Now I'm 15 minutes in. Forgot everything I did. I just did whatever I did. Left. Lauren goes in there. She goes crazy. Like, bar guard is crazy. Prize goes in there. He does his thing. But I was watching how Salam cuts it, like, you know what I'm saying? So the way, like, I was watching how he was producing, I said, holy crap, this guy is different. He's actually composing. So I was like, okay, I got to watch him closely. So we left. And Salam took the record. And in his composition brain, he was like, okay, this is going to be the hook. Let's get 16 out of Clef. Let's get this out of God, Let's get eight out of prize. Come back to Clef. If you notice on Nappy Heads, I have more bars than everybody. I rhyme in the beginning, and he threw me at the end. That's because he's literally had 15 <laughs> minutes of me of just crazy stuff. When I say, and I say to myself, what a wonderful world. But what the fuck was so wonderful about picking cotton in the fall, Mr. Slave, man? Um, so once Salam did that, He, i never forget, he said, y'all have a blessing and a curse. He said, before we even get started, the curse is y'all too fucking talented. He said, the blessing is, all we got to do is do some knucklehead shit and it's going to go. So, and then he said, then y'all could bring out the guitars and all the other shit. So, we did this record and we left and we went on tour with Das Effect's. Bum skimmy, bum skimmy, bum hunt. I got that boat done up, bum, bum, and I can be <laughs> right. So, while we on tour with DOS effects, it's so important that everybody understands like, you always got to keep your pulse on the culture and you can't assume like what you're doing is it. Like, you always got to be like, what am I doing tomorrow and the next day? The minute you get comfortable, <clears throat> like, something else is going to slip in. So, I remember being on tour with Dice Effects, you know, and Dice Effects, hardcore, underground. I love that group. And, but we was different. Like, So when we came out, dudes would see me in a bubble boost, but I'll show up with a guitar in my hand. <laughs> it's like, you're in an underground. This just doesn't make sense. And then the minute we start, I'm playing Mob Deep on guitar. They start going crazy. And it starts to be this thing. But we are out of New York City and we don't have no clue what's going on. Meanwhile, this song, Nappy Heads, has taken over New York City. So by the time we get off a tour, they're like, yo, they got a show at Jones Beach. We show up. Now, keep in mind, we coming from Blunted on reality, so we never perform Blunted. Like, maybe we do two, three songs from there. We always do what we feel in our heart on stage. So we go out there, and we like killing it, and... And then I'm like, yo, so I told Leon, yo, just drop the record. And, <laughs> you know, we don't know each And I said, yo, Mona Lisa. And the whole place erupted, boom, boom the whole Jones Beach, 20,000. But she, but she, but y'all, well, I'm gonna leave. Yo, that eruption was like one of the greatest highs I've ever felt because I was like, what just happened? Right? He was like, yo, what just happened? And so, Sony was like, okay, we need an album. Like, there's something going on. So then I was like, great. So I went to my sensei, salon, and every record I did in the basement, I would bring to him. And then I'd be like, yo, you want to add something to this? And he'd be like, what, I'm ready or not? He was like, nah, that sounds done to me. So I'd be like, you want to add, you know? And then he was like, yo, I had this record for Fat Joe, but y'all might want to hear it. And then we heard it, and it was the Fuji La beat that was originally for Fat Joe. <laughs> and we used to be number 10. So coming from, from Nappy Heads, we dropped another single with Salam, because we was like, yo, the stuff that we felt had, we still felt like it was different. We felt like Ready or Not was different. Killing Me Softly is a big R&B song and we was like real like playing chess like we didn't want to move too quick like so people because we didn't want nothing to go over people's heads again
0: what does eating healthy mean to you I save on every order, usually about 30%, which, of course, I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus... A $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash Torre. Thrivemarket.com slash touré. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. That's all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Vision Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life
1: can hurt, but life is sweet.
0: Little Way, rated PG-13. May be inappropriate
1: for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Plus. So we was like, okay, fuji knuckle Knucklehead vibe again. Let's go to Jamaica. Let's turn up the Clash vibe. And then, but the minute we dropped the score, we noticed what started happening. DJs just literally was dictating what the next singles were. You know what I'm saying? Like literally, right? We didn't have YouTube. There was none of that. They literally was like, oh yeah, it's going to be Killing Me Softly. And Killing Me Softly and Ready or Not was literally going up and back and forth like that. So Mm -hmm. um, that's how it worked out. (laughs)
0: Yo, my favorite song of yours of all time is Gone Till November. <laughs> that song just kills me. Talk about making, making that record, what you were thinking about, what you were trying to do, what you, you know, what, how, how it came out so right.
1: All right. So the record Gone Till November is a record about making runs. And the... Record starts off with the narration. I told you exactly what's about to go down, um, and it's so vivid and clear that there's a drug run happening, and it's clear that somebody ain't making back. You li- It's all vivid, like you hear there's a drug run about to happen, and you know it's gonna go bad. But it's I emotional.
0: To- it's sad. It's heartfelt. It's like it, you could have made it harder, like almost like a Nas type, like deep, like, but it's, 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 there's an emotional beauty to it too. Yeah. Cause
1: it's the other side of the beauty, right? It's the other author. So for me, I always believe like melodies take things to another level. And I was like, the message is so harsh and how I could convey it. And it's like Barb Marley, almost like sometimes Barb Marley, are saying like these real heavy messages. So the melodies make you feel like, oh, this is just cool, it's cool. But when you start getting into the the message, you're like, yo, this is real heavy. So for me, with going to November, I went into that frame of mind like Marley would mind. Like, how am I gonna approach this with a double entendre and make everybody feel like they're going to November? So like if somebody's getting up, going to work, they're going to November. Somebody going on a vacation, they're going to November. Um, I learned that style because that's how Bob Dylan writes. Like a lot of things, like once you start to dig into it, you can get into the depth of it. Also, I was listening to the Beatles, Sergeant Pepper. And I was like, okay, I want to put an orchestra on the record. So um, I reached out to like the Philharmonic Orchestra. And I was like, yo, I have a, a a record and I would love y'all to play on it. So literally wrote the charts for the Philharmonic Orchestra and, um, and they rocked out on it. I remember when I, when I met Kanye West at a, um, I think it was a party in New York, and we had a conversation. He literally had a 10 minute conversation with me about Gone to November, about the song, about how the video, the girls came out of the with the violins, <laughs> you know, the whole, it's almost like well, when you're doing it, you're just doing it. You're not thinking of it. You feel me? But it was just great to see how other people saw that song. That was cool.
0: So, okay. Playing guitar is critical to your whole musical spirit. What's it, what, what does it mean to be a great guitar player and make people really feel what you're playing. Well, for me, I learned that, you know, Curtis
1: Mayfield, uh, Carlos Santana, uh, Jimi Hendrix, Steve Vai, um, B.B. King. uh, I think that the misconception a lot of times with guitar players is, so I'm like you, meaning like, if you are a guitar player, And you used to shredding in the room, every rock solo, Dorian, Ionian, Phrygian. That was me at one time. So it was like, I was listening to like Owner of a Lonely Heart and literally playing every part of that. Um, Listening to Eddie Van Halen, Hammer Ons, you know what I'm saying? Like doing all of that. Um, Michael Hedges, the King of Hammer Ons. But one time... I was seeing Curtis Mayfield play. I think I was 17. And I saw like a a VHS. And I was like, the guitar is really an extension of the voice. That's all it is. So I gotta start playing themes. Cause now when you play themes now, it's like the guitar becomes party. It's like no longer, on this other side of you, you know what I'm saying? It's like when you playing like um so like if you if you're going like where you going? is you're like, but hold up, the guitar is singing a song. And so listening to like Curtis Santana and all that, I was like, the Hendrix, I was like, the guitar gotta sing a song. It doesn't matter how fast you play, how to speed, that has nothing to do with it. But you have to make people feel things. So, you know. So, just... So then the guitar for me is more just an extension
0: of another voice. Of the voice. Okay. How do you make it sing? How do you make it seem to sing? Well,
1: you, you make it sing because <clears throat> this thing is like the most sexiest thing in the world. So you have to think about it like the guitar is your lover. It's the best way to explain it. This is like your baby this is like your sweet heart. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, you see the touch has to be, you can't be on rank, you know what I mean? And then you see your fingers are very, very important. People that are lovers understand that touching is the most important thing. So the best guitar players have a touch with the instrument. And a lot of the tone that you can hear, because you'd be like, hold up, one go? It's not like the guitar is singing. How is he doing that? It's in the touch, Right. Because a guitar player can grab the guitar and they go. you like, yo, man, what is that? You know what I'm saying? So the touch. It's all
0: in the touch. It's all in the touch. Um, let's talk about singing. How do you communicate as a singer as opposed to as a rapper? Because you have a special a way singer. of singing. I'm a folk yeah, singer. <laughs> you, yeah, you have, a, you have a clef way of singing.
1: Yeah, it's just a folk singer like you know what i mean like Marley-ish, you know Dylan-ish, you know hendrick is not like the you know like the hathaways It's just more like i think i was just more like the you know the the guy that's just like eh ah eh ah eh ah eh ah eh so much shooting so much shooting i can't be i can't be so much, Luton. So much, Lieutenant. You see, and you're like, well, hold up, that sound. That just, that's just made up a song. And I think that a lot of that is like, um, I remember like when I met B.B. King at the White House, and he was like, yo, you know, you're a blues singer. <laughs> and I was like, no, you're a blues singer. He said, you don't understand. You're a blues singer. He said, you're a folk singer. He said, Someone can come and they riff something real nuts and they go on there and then you just show up and you go, uh, and people say, like, man, I felt that. He said, because the, the folk singer, the blues singer, is just an expression of the soul. So it's not like you're trying to sing something. You're more trying to convey a vibration. I always tell people, you want to see the singer, go see my sister. She's the church singer. I was never like, in my church, I would be more like the guy who writes the songs, the call or response guy. You know what I mean? Never considered myself the singer.
0: But you get by.
1: Uh, Yeah. And you know what? I have chops. FYI, just so you know, I'm going to blow your mind. There is an album I did for Clive and there's a song called Baby. You've never heard it. Correct? This song, when y'all go back and y'all listen to this, I'm singing the entire song in falsetto. Oh, wow. Okay. You see how you said, oh, wow. So I have a seven octave range. So oh, wow! when I was in the church, I more had to write for the sopranos, the altos, the tenors. So it was more like a soulful energy and I knew where to go with it. So at times I step out of the folk mode and... Remember, like, Barb Marley used to sing all of the Temptation music. They used to do everything coming out of Motown with the three-part harmony before, as they was finding they sounds as, as the wellings. You know what I'm saying? So I do have that other side of my voice, too. Do you have perfect
0: pitch? Um,
1: well, it's so funny that you say that. Yeah, I do. But perfect pitch is watch this this is very important for anybody who's listening right now anyone who's listening what constitute perfect pitch okay this is important my folks automatically they constitute 440 perfect pitch 440 is perfect pitch relative to what scale western Eastern, at the end of the day, perfect pitch is relative to what basically the math is based on. If you in the West, you automatically like, humble, humble, how you been, right? But if you're in the East, you're like, <laughs> in between the keys, like Thelonious Monk, right? So that's why a lot of what Monk did if you notice, if you read the articles, they said that motherfucker was playing off key. Like he's play, he's not on key, he going, what was he doing? Monk didn't have perfect pitch, are you out your mind? But he understood it's all relative to the math.
0: Monk is one of my favorites of all yeah, time. Yeah, man. Um, you are a great performer. There's something about killing it in the studio, it's a whole different animal getting uh-huh. in front of people and making it happen. How, what, what is the key to being a great performer?
1: Well, I've been performing in the church since I've been 10. And um, like I said, people from the church be cheap. So automatically at 10, they put you in front of the congregation and your daddy looks at you and he says, make them feel something. And you're like, I don't understand what you're saying. He said, make them feel something. Somebody out there got cancer. Heal them. Somebody out there about to lose their job. Somebody about to go to the other side. Can you take them there? So every time I jump on the stage, I can hear my daddy's voice. And all I do is I make the crowd escape. When I come on stage, if it's 40 minutes, if it's an hour, if it's two hours, I just take you away to that place. And it's that safe zone, like literally where you could just be yourself, you know, jump out of your body because the world got you so compressed, you know, uh, that I think that every great entertainer, like when it's time, the best part is to let go. And I always tell people, I've never been to no therapist. And they'd be like, well, who's your therapist? And I say the stage, like a lot of us, you know, like, it's the place where you could just release. You can just be, they'd be like, yo, you're so calm. And the minute you jump on stage, you're like, lying. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, because I could just be something else.
0: <laughs> in, in your mind right now today, is the Fugees still alive or is it dead?
1: Well, I think that the Fugees is, is very much so alive um, when you look at Drake. Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, her. Um, the Fuji's are, are very much alive um, because what the Fuji's built from the gate, like what we was getting into, I just remember, it was like, we're going to be a band. We're going to be a hip-hop band. We're going to be a band. And it's, it's like, and I'm so confident to be like, there's Rolling Stones, there's YouTube. there's the Beatles, there's the Fugees. Like, that's a good feeling. And what that means is, at any time, that guitar can come out, that voice can come out and announce a concert at Madison Square Garden. And in 3.1 seconds, it's sold out. <laughs> you
0: know what I'm saying to you? Uh, yes, there's a clear influence over the, you know the the decades of music that have followed there's definitely sons and daughters of the fugees and clef and lauren and all that yeah but i really mean the three of y'all is there i don't think it's in- dead no no uh, i don't think so it could It there could be another tour there could be another album i believe so in my heart
1: like in my heart i don't feel like it's dead
0: Because we know, not you so much, but Praz has said things about Lauren that make it seem like, how could you come back from that? That make you think like, oh, they're broken up. But you're like...
1: But it's more like, I'm a creator. Lauren's a creator. I wasn't no executive producer on that album. I more did it for the art, for the music. So, like... If the Rolling Stone can come together and do what they do, and all of the rock bands can, for sure the Fuji's definitely can. You know what I mean?
0: I mean, she was always one of the most special creative beings on the planet. Still and is. Like, yeah, of no doubt. Yeah. And 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 just I I can't imagine like working with her and having that talent, like you know, it's, it's not Jordan to Pippin, It's Jordan and Jordan. It's, it's you know, it's, it's an incredible resource.
1: For me, it's amazing because I watch the growth. You know what I'm saying? Like, I watch those little poems. I watch like, okay, now go listen to, I don't want you to sound like no girl when you rhyme because they ain't gonna pay attention. I need you to go listen to MC Light and Queen Latifah. This is what we're coming with. And, she was writing all these poems. Three weeks, that girl came back, <laughs> was Michael Jordan
0: on steroids. <laughs> oh, man. You, 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 you grew up with nothing in terms of money, and now, you know, you have this freedom. What is, and I ask a lot of people this question, what has money afforded you? Um, yeah.
1: Well, I'm very grateful, one, because I'm 50. And you watched us grow as kids. And 95% of the people that came up with us are broke.
0: As far as professional musicians?
1: Like in the 90s. Like, meaning like... 95%? Yeah, and what I mean by that is a million dollars could have turned to 10. 10 could have turned to 20. 20 could have turned to 50. 50 could have turned to 100, if invested right. And anybody that was with me in that Columbia building when I was coming up in the era of Big L and Curious George, they're not here no more. And when I say that, and then when I say like, Broke. I mean, they don't have generational wealth. And this is very important, what I'm saying right now. This is like the most, if everybody that's listening, this is the most important thing. And I'll go back and I'll say it. In the era when I was coming up in that building with Nasty Nas, Big L, Curious George, and I could go on. If we go back to that roster, how many of us could truly say that our daughters are okay and their daughters and their kids is gonna be okay and their kids' kids are going to be okay? The reason why I'm saying that is when you ask me how I feel, I feel like I have a big obligation, my man. This obligation is so big that the first thing I want people to understand is when I tried to become president of Haiti and I realmed into politics, it's like I felt like even though I had a lot, I lost it all. Right? Because there's something that's greater than money, man. And Money is not an extension of happiness, right? Because my little guy is a Vici. young Tim. Commits suicide, kills himself. More money than the world. We've watched this. You've seen, we, we have some of the greatest people that we've watched that just has passed. So I say, the part of it is beyond the money. How do you teach your generations to gather to, to gather generational wealth? That's what it's about. So when Jay-Z was like, yo, I'm going to make y'all pay for what y'all did to the cold crush. I did, you feel me? And then so now when we look at it and say, okay, because you never want this one, we got to be real careful with this, right? Because what happens is, Kids are making money so fast now, right? The same way, way quicker than we were making money. Like, literally, they could get a Spotify hit. It was making 50 bands in the club every week, guaranteed, right? Everybody's back at their house. No more concerts for the next 18 months. These bands are not coming every week. Did they have the OGs around them? Was the OGs like, okay, all right, I know you want this Lambo right now, but this is what we gonna do. We're gonna get this real estate property. Let's just invest this five hundred thousand in this, right? And let's put this in this. So I feel like at the end of the day, and the kids listen to me because they don't feel like I'm telling them a Vietnam story. Like I never come and approach it like, yo, oh, in the year or so and so I had, you know, it's more like I approach it like, okay, player, let's look at it like this. I remember when I bought this, I lost that. But if I ended up buy two buildings at the time, I would have had this. So now I do that. So for me, I feel like we have an obligation. So how do I feel about the money? I feel that the money, when Puffy's like, more money, more problems, the money allows you now to be able to change the next generation, right? Because the only way that they're gonna listen to you is if you fly. You can't be telling them like, yo, before getting a Lamborghini, Get a building, they ain't gonna know what you're gonna say unless they say, uh, how many Lamborghinis you got, how many buildings you have. So I think that is so important as we move forward, we focus on that. Putting my money where my mouth is at, there was an article that came out in the Forbes where I raised $25 million for my company, Carnival House Records. And a lot of the funds are focused on Africa and the Caribbean. Because what I'm noticing, and then like you said, I came from nothing. So what the hell is my responsibility? We all have a responsibility, right? So coming from where I come from, I know I have a responsible, Puff, J, everyone has their own responsibility. And you're responsible for a generation. So at the end of the day, this is how we can't, you see how they're moving with the protests, you see how the kids is in the front line. We, these are our kids. We can't let certain things happen to them. And so... The next generation coming, it's important that we teach them how to garner generational wealth. Very important.
0: Is that about real estate?
1: It's about owning your own real estate. And what does that mean? That means that when you hear DJ Khaled go, another one, that means Clef owns 65% of that real estate. I do not want the kids to compromise their publishing for just a penny. Like, at the end of the day, sometimes, like, real talk, like, Nipsey Hussle, Jay-Z, like, let these people influence your next energy and understand that the power that you have, President Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, like, understand that your composition, right? Can you imagine when I wrote Maria Maria and I'm sitting there, Maria Maria, right? Who gonna tell me 15 years later, Khaled's gonna give me a call like, yo, could you call Santana? I'm about to do this record with Rihanna. Right? And who would have told you what happened if I did the record and was like, okay, Um, 15 years ago and be like, no, no, I'm not worried about my publishing. Just give me $5 $5 million and y'all keep my thing, what's going on. So this is what I encourage the kids. Know your worth. You're worth a lot. And don't compromise that for nothing.
0: Is, is Hips Don't Lie the song that you have made the most money from? Um, Number one selling song of the century? yeah is that right yes it is <laughs> and you have what a third of that record half of that record no i have over i got like 70 percent of them <laughs> you got 70 percent of them so is that your number one bag of all the things that you've done um
1: i have a few bugatti bags you know what i'm saying so to your <laughs> point right um Quanti- um, quality over, what is it? Quality over quantity? Is that what is it is? Yeah. So, yeah, I have a few real estate. But, but the most important thing about that song, "Hits Don't Lie, that I want kids to know, it was, two, it was done two years prior to Shakira. Are you aware of that? No. <laughs> Yo, I'm about to fuck you up. Yo, this song I did, right, and you're going to bug out. You're going to be like, oh, it's obvious. After you go listen to this, you're going to say, well, yeah, it's obvious cleft ownership." this shit. So that song, I was working with one of my godfathers, Clive Davis, and remember, I have big success with him with Whitney, with Carlos Santana. He's like, yo, I'm doing this Havana Night soundtrack. Do You have a song. At the time, I have a group called City High, and if Claudette Ortiz is listening to this, she will tell you how much I kept preaching her that the future is going to be Spanish music. Like you got to sing, even though you're doing the R&B, you got to sing in Spanish. If we can do this thing in Spanish, we're going to conquer the world because no one can sing R&B ends in with that, with that soulful flair. Last time I heard that was like Selena, you got that. You could do it. So she did the original version bro of Hips don't lie. And it was called Dance Like This. And it was in the movie Havana Nights. Two years. Cold as ice. Nobody paying attention. <laughs> like, yo, the joint is cold. Now, this is the good thing about, you know, like I said, this is where your hip hop head comes in, right? Because with hip hop, what we're great at recycling. Like, so as producer, like, come on, bro. <laughs> Yeah, I remember one time, one DMX record came out. I couldn't remember which one. I think the lives had the same set of points. <laughs> but, so, two years later, Charlie Walkenham and called me, Donny and was like, yo, we looking for a record for Shakira. Okay, all I gotta do is tell everyone that's listening, the original version is called Dance Like This. You could go on YouTube or any platform, Y-Claire, featuring Claudette Artiste. Yo, once y'all hear that, like, you know what I'm saying to you, like, it text me on the Instagram and be like, yo, Clef, you was right.
0: <laughs> so you had the record and then you refashioned it for Shakira. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the is that the number one Bugatti bag? Well, I think that
1: the thing about with publishing is what works great is the collector. Right. What do you mean? So and what that means is how much Clef music get licensed per month. Right. Because you're you're in a world right now where. Where. Music is king. So can you think around the world, you see how big this is around the world? There's like 25 Clef licenses every month. It's a big world and then all of the music is worldwide. Um, one day, if you ever come to my, my crib, I will show you a plaque of, and this plaque is a plaque of 10 million, right? But it's not the Fugees, it's not the Scores, not the carnivores. You're gonna be like, what the fuck? How did I miss this, right? Because now the plaque, it'll take you to New Zealand, Netherlands, Australia, it'll take you all over. So now think about that. People around the entire world, when they do films, when they need bed music behind the radios, you could keep on going and going. So the way that you make money is not necessarily on one per se bag. It's the amount of licenses that you get. So, so if you have a small boutique with the right material, that means people are constantly drawing out that material.
0: So what's the song that you are most often licensed on? Um,
1: a lot of the songs that are, a lot, someone please call 911, that's a big license. Huge. Um, that's like one of the biggest licenses. Can you imagine that? Like more people license 911 than Hipstone Lotto. Wow. Right? So in Hipstone Lotto, um, one of the biggest licenses to come out of that would have to be the NFL, right? Super Bowl.
0: One thing that I'm hearing from you is that one big difference between you and most artists who blew up in America is that you have a global mindset and you have a global fan base, whereas most artists are American that think about an American fan base.
1: 100%. And I'll say it and I'll say it again. Um, My Love, Your Love, it wasn't going to play like on Hot ninety seven. Maria Maria wasn't gonna play on the Hot 97. Hips Don't Lie wasn't gonna play on the Hot 97 at the time, but 911 would play on Hot 97, right? So I'm always able to break the mold of whatever they say ain't gonna play nowhere, and I make it play there because at the end of the day, you can't decide what's gonna play. The people are gonna tell you what to play because they're gonna give you the pulse. And all I keep trying to show people is don't put yourself in a box. What happens when you're no longer on that radio station? How are you going to survive? Very important.
0: Um, the last thing that I ask everybody, well, before I get to the last thing, why is my man Robert F. Kennedy on your piano? Um, <laughs> why him? Oh, wow, man. You're like,
1: yo, let me tell you, ever since I've known you, you, like, always got that one question. <laughs> that's why you are you. (laughs) So this is actually was given to me by the Kennedy family. Oh, wow. And I, if you recall, I have a great relationship with the, the Kennedy family and the cousins, the Shrivers. Uh, when John, when Kennedy's son died, remember I'm the one that sung at the funeral. Um, I was chosen to sing at the funeral. So, um, so this is like one uh, of the statues that I got uh, through their foundation. And I always keep it on the piano.
0: No, it's beautiful. He was, he was, he was a great guy. Yeah. Um, so, okay, your superpower. What is your superpower that you do better than other people that has led to the success that you've had?
1: Okay, I think my superpower is understanding my genetics, and my roots. And what that means is understanding my genetics and my roots is my superpower. And and what that means is the ability to fall and to constantly rise again, because you don't consider falling a failure, right? You consider it a stepping stone to the next move that you have to make. So I would say that's really it. And it's a hard thing to understand because usually when people fall, the arena laughs. And in the process of the arena laughing, they buy into the laugh of the arena and they stay on the floor. But the true gladiator constantly rise because they already know they are going to finish this fight.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Hell yeah, hell yeah. One more thing, You, you keep bringing up Marley. Is he, in your mind, the greatest musician of all time?
1: Um, Yeah, Bob Marley is, for me, the greatest musician of all time because he defies every law possible that you have instated through music institutions. Bob Marley don't have nothing to do with any of that. Like, Bob Marley don't got no Grammy. He don't got no MTV award. He wasn't most accolated for this, for that. All he did was do music with that subliminal thing that he knew that long after he gone, he still would be here.
0: Yo, thank you for the time, for the heart, for the soul, for the knowledge. Thank Anything you, man. Anything else fam. you want to say? You already know. And
1: then we're gonna talk in a couple years because. I'm about to break the next. So my next mission now, I'm going to the film industry. And of course, I'm inspired by Jan Zimmer and Quincy Jones and Gershwin. So I am attacking Hollywood with a vengeance. I want to be the next king of scores.
0: The king of scores.
1: Let's see what happens in five years.
0: <laughs> from from the score to the king of scores. Yeah, that's a bar. That's a bar. All right. <laughs> thanks so much to Y Clef for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle, Brenda Cox. And Kathy F. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Toray and on Instagram at Toray Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Show. Tore Show is written by me Torrey and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down.